0: Tonight we'll be looking at Satan's war against the church. Satan has no new tricks. He does the same old thing. He just repackages it generation to generation. Now, as we look at these seven churches, we're going to look at all seven churches in a very small amount of time. Everybody say, I hope so. You ain't supposed to say that. You should want to be in the presence of God's word. I'm joking. But listen, there were seven churches in the book of Revelation. There were 40 total, but these seven were the most prominent churches. Paul founded most of these churches when he died in about 67 A.D. John the Apostle took over bishop, being a bishop for the next 27 years. Now, within these pages of the churches, you will see Satan's war plan against the church. You will see exactly what he does. Tonight we're going to look at what he does to individuals and to the whole entire body of Christ. Now when you look at these churches, I have a chart up here that maybe Doug can put up. Many believe that the churches in general tell us about what the church was going through during the church age. In other words, when you look at the church at Ephesus, this is when the church was born. When you see Smyrna, you see the persecuted church and this is the time periods that it that it carried on for. Pergamus was considered the the Roman church period, the Roman church time, then the dark ages during Thyatira's time. The church the dark ages when the when the, you couldn't find a, a word of God, it was chained to a pulpit and you could only if you could only speak Latin, that was the only way you had the opportunity to get to it and to understand it. Men basically held the Bible at ransom and told you what you needed to know about God. Then the church at Sardis, which is the Reformation. This is the time period of of Martin Luther when he nailed his 95 thesis and said the just shall live by faith. And then the Philadelphia church is the missions church. This is where I believe we are right now, as well as in the church of Laodicean age, because we're in we're doing missions now and also you can see the lukewarm church. Some of you may not agree with that. <laughs> but there are lukewarm churches. And we're going to talk about this. Listen, Satan's forces are behind church problems. Satan hates the church. He's always hated the church. He hates every single one of you that named the name of Jesus Christ. But here's the good news. If he could kill you, he would have done it a long time ago. He has no ability, no authority over your life. But when you look at these churches and you will see to him that overcomes, it's literally a picture of the entire gospel being fulfilled in each letter. And it's the promise to you that we will look at. John told the churches in the book of Revelation that they were in danger of losing their first love, being afraid to suffer, being doctrinally defective. Morally corrupt, spiritually dead, not holding fast, and riding the fence. Does that sound like church problems? (laughs) These tactics have not changed. But listen, let's look at Satan's attack against you, the individual. He attempts to distract you from worship and the word of God. He hates when you worship God. He did it to Jesus when Jesus was worshiping God during the, on the Mount of Temptation. He came up and said, worship me. He hates the reading of the word of God. He hates the preaching of the gospel. Many times when you see the preaching of the gospel, <laughs> pardon my French, but fruits and nuts show up. It's true. You have discord. You have people popping up. I mean, it's just crazy when you see the power of God coming out. Under the, the, the power and anointing of the, Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. You ever notice when you hear the gospel preaching, you have an urge to check Facebook? He is trying to distract you from worship. Number two, he tries to sift you out. He tries to wrap you up with secret sins and bondages. He wants you to feel like you're not worthy. He did it to Peter. Remember, Satan came to, I mean, Jesus came to Peter and said, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Jesus is in Hebrews 7.25 saying that he ever liveth to make intercession for us now. That means he's seated at the right hand of God and his very presence intercedes on our behalf. Remember, when you get bound up, with bondages, when you get bound up and Satan makes you feel like you are not worthy, when you read 1 Corinthians 13, 5, when we read that, that love chapter, we always make that about each other. That's what God says about you. The Bible says that he thinks no evil of you. Think of that. Some of you have been beating yourself up. God says, I think no evil of you. And you see, he repeats it again in Jeremiah 29, 11, 13. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. God doesn't think evil towards you. When you repent of your sin, walk away from that clean. Because what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you. Number three, Satan comes and inflicts wrath and torment on you. He did it to Paul. The Bible says that there was a messenger of Satan that kept going around to buffet him. Some theologians say that that was a demon spirit that Satan had assigned totally to Paul. Others think it was an eye problem. We don't know. No one knows. These are just thoughts. But we do know that he was always persecuted for the sake of the gospel. Remember when Jesus was standing and they were going to choose Jesus or Barabbas. The people started getting stirred. And said, give us Barabbas and let his blood, Jesus' blood, be on our hands and our children's children. And you can watch through history and you have seen the Jewish people suffer majorly. Listen, Satan will derail us with sickness, with addiction. But Jesus is our healer and our deliverer. If you are sick in body, minister in that sickness and wait for God to deliver you. Satan also incites disunity, wickedness, and immorality in your own personal lives. He does this through race, age, social status, likes and dislikes. Come on, I've seen this my whole church life prior to here, honestly. The older people are the gray-head teenagers, recycled teenagers. (laughs) Amen. The older people will be mad at the younger people and the younger people are mad at the older people. The older people think that the younger people are trying to rip the church out of their hands and the older people feel like the younger people just want to have their way and push them out. That's a lie from Satan. That is a lie from Satan. He tries to separate families. He turns husband against wife. He turns children against parents. He he stirs up all kind of division. He sets a big pool of immorality and he invites the husband and wife and says, take a dip and I can tell you all the reasons why you should indulge in immorality. And all he's doing is trying to rip the family apart. Satan knows if he can rip the family apart, he can destroy the country. Come on, that's what's happening. He is trying to rip the moral fabric of what this country was built upon. I hope you don't think this is too rough tonight. Satan's, this is how Satan attacks the church. Number one, he uses religion. He did it with Ephesus. In Revelation chapter 2, 4 and 6, it says, But I have this against you. You have left your first love. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming and I will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. Yet you do have, yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Listen to what he says. Which I also hate. Now, as we look at this, Satan loves religion. He loves the ability to soothe the conscience with all kind of religious works. He deadens your conscience. You know, the Christian, no, no matter if it's the Muslim, the Buddhist, all of these things. He can get in there and make you start to feel as if you're doing something good. Satan doesn't mind if you do a million things in God's name. He don't want you in relationship with the Lord. During this time, there were gladiator fights that, and there were coliseums that sat ten thousands of people. They were, they were sound in their doctrine, but they had lost their passion. Listen, and it also says that Jesus knew of their toil, their perseverance, their works. God knows your service. God knows your prayer time. God knows you read your Bible. God knows you're in a life group. You, you, you reach out. You serve every time the doors have opened. But Jesus wants your heart. Jesus wants that relationship. He says, do the things you did at first. In Acts 19, it tells us what they did. They were baptizing in water. They were laying hands, baptizing in the Holy Spirit. They were casting out devils. They were doing all of these things. They were on fire. They were hardworking. But somewhere along the line, they lost their passion. Maybe they spent too much time at the Gladiator Stadium. Listen, religious activity can take over. The power of God was no longer manifesting. Demons were sitting in the church and staying and looking at the preacher in the eye. The routine replaced passion with works. And notice it says that you left your first love. It was something that they did. We do that all the time. We get so wrapped up in religious works Listen, when Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, two through three, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, if I deliver my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Why would you do that? If you don't love, why would you give everything you have to the poor? Why would you die a martyr if you don't have love? It's because you're trying to work for God to love you. And when you do that, you're no different than a Muslim blowing themselves up to get God to notice them. God loves you because he loves you. You need to hear that. God loves you because he loves you. We need to put the great commandment, love God and love people, before the great commission. That's what God wants. He wants you to love him with all of your heart, soul, and mind. Then carry out the great commission. Notice Jesus is not some taskmaster trying to get you to do all kinds of things. He's concerned with the way you you feel towards him. Go back to what you did at first. I don't care if it was listening to Carmen or third day. Go back to that time. Rekindle the love that the Lord has for you. You worship God because he saved you from bondages and addictions and darkness. You read the Bible because you wanted to know him, not to check a box off during quiet time. When you tap into the love of God, you are tapping in to a mighty weapon that Satan hates and he will fight you. If I were Satan, I would tell you to perform your guts out. Because it would wear you out, you would be mad at God, and you would be burned out. It's like the burning bush on fire, but not consumed when you're operating in the love of God. Number two, intimidation. They were enduring tribulation. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, the church at Smyrna, which is a church that Jesus had no complaint over. He said, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison. That you may be tested. You may have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful unto the death and I will give you the crown of life. Now they endured persecution for their faith. There were pagan temples around. And these people would cut themselves and dance around in the temple. Cutting is nothing new. It's proof that it is demonic. It's always been around. And it always will be around. Smyrna. If you remember the church at Smyrna. It was the center of, of, of emperor worship. It was the church that Polycarp would lose his life at the age of 86. How many of you heard the name of Polycarp? His story is amazing. He was about to be nailed to the stake. And he said, you don't have to nail me to this stake. Because the Lord will hold me here. So they tied his arms. And he simply said, Lord, give me the strength. And thank you for allowing me to die. Like my martyred brothers, they lit him on fire. The flames engulfed his body and he was not burned. And then they took a sword, rammed it through him and the blood gushed out and put that fire out. And he died right there on the spot. Think about that. That's power. That's losing your life for the sake of the gospel. Pagan male priests would castrate themselves and consider themselves a third gender. Do you see all the gender stuff going on nowadays? Listen, this stuff just continues on. It's just regurgitated. But I want to encourage you with this. The world has always tried to destroy the church, but the Colosseums are in ruins, but the church is is still here. The emperors have vowed to kill every Christian, but they are in the ground and the church has risen out of the ashes. We're hearing rumblings today against the church. But stay in ramrod straight, because soon and very soon, the king of kings and Lord of lords will split this sky open to take us home. Hallelujah. Listen, don't be intimidated by ISIS. They are threatening to destroy every Christian off the face of the earth. No one has ever succeeded and they never will. Because the Bible says the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. We are to dictate our life by this book. It does not matter what government says. It does not matter what politicians say. This is what you live by your, your, your life by. You need to think like it. Act like it. Do what it says. Live it out. Walk it out. Read it. Study it. Apply it. Present it. This, my friend, will live all throughout eternity. This is the only thing that will continue on. God's word will never go away. It does not matter what agenda driven atheists say. And it does not matter what donkeys and elephants say. In AD 300, the Emperor Diocletian ordered every Bible to be burned. And he said, if I catch you with the Bible, you will be burned at the stake. The French philosopher Voltaire, he said, within 100 years of my death, the Bible will disappear off the face of the earth. He died in 1728, but the Bible lives. 50 years after his death, the Geneva Bible Society Moved into his house and made a printing press and printed thousands of Bible. Don't tell me that God does not laugh his enemies into derision. Men have died on the gallows for reading it and they have been burned for owning it. With that being said, this Bible... That you hold in your hand has the very words of eternal life. All authority has been given to you to read this word, to apply this word, and to watch demon spirits run out of your presence. Come on, we, have a, we serve an all-powerful God. We serve an all-powerful God. Now, I want to encourage you to finish strong. Listen, if you look at church history, all these people that have died, blood has been shed. We have been given the baton to continue running. I want to encourage you to endure the flames of adversity. God put you here and he has made you flame resistant. He has put you here. He, he put you here because he knew that he wanted you to run the last lap. All of heaven is sitting in the stands watching and rooting for you. The Bible says we have a great cloud of witnesses that is around us. Listen, King David, our forefather, took out Goliath with one rock. Moses took down an entire empire with one stick. (laughs) How much more? The power of God would move upon these people. And then they would do great and mighty exploits. Exploits. You have that spirit living on the inside of you. Don't walk around and saying, oh, brother, bless God, the devil is after me. I just can't get a break. He's just on my tail. I haven't done him anything. Come on. You don't think that way. The Holy Spirit is on the inside of you, raging like a fire, saying, just let me out. He is pushing against your flesh, trying to destroy all the evil that is around you. If you will just allow him to have his way, straighten up, persevere with vengeance, with eyes of fire. Come on, Jesus, the very royal blood of heaven is in your veins. I am looking at kings and priests and queens. I'm looking at royalty right now. It does not matter what Satan says. Listen, our brothers. That gave us this book changed the world and changed your heart by what you have read. Finish the course strongly. Number three, compromise. They were holding on to false doctrine. The church at Pergamos said, I have a few things against you. You have some that hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel's. Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and commit acts of immorality. Thus, you also have some who in the same way hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. We keep coming across that word. Repent, therefore, or else I am coming to you. I am I coming to you quickly and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. Now, Jesus said that this was the very place that Satan dwells. Satan will always sit on the throne of false doctrine. There are some today that teach you that hell is not real. And that's a lie. Some people say that everyone is going to heaven. Some people are singing about a heaven they will never see. That's universalism. Some are teaching hyper grace that you can do whatever you want and God will forgive you. You cannot use the cross as a stick to beat the son of God with. We cannot walk around and trample his blood in disobedience. Listen, he will always try to twist scripture. He did it in in the garden and said, has God really said? He did it to the author, Jesus Christ. And said, and, and tried to twist scripture. Don't think he won't try it with you. They were following the teachings of the Nicolaitans. The word Nicolaitans means laity controllers. People that were controlling the laity. And Jesus Christ, our loving, heavenly brother, our king, hates it. He hates people, not people. He hates the spirit behind those that try to hold salvation over people's heads you got to do this and do that and do this and do that then God will love you Jesus hates that and every single person that teaches that will stand before God one day and they will not be uncondemned this has always been going on and it will continue you know that's why I love the fact that what we had with this this conference it was a bunch of other church, uh, different churches that got here and we worship God. We all, you know, there's there's some major things and there's some minor things. We don't we don't major on the minor. There are some things that we can all stand in agreement with. Listen, there's 275 denominations. They're all fighting over one one bone. That's not including the cults. Come on, we need to come together. On the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The authority of his word. The power of the Holy Spirit. The resurrection of the dead. The soon return of Jesus Christ. All of these are things that we hold fast to as as belief systems. When you, you know, the, the unit in unity at the expense of truth is compromise. That's all it is. Listen, people are being manipulated for financial gain. People are putting yokes on people saying, if you want to be healed, empty your bank account. That is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. Satan will flood churches with man-made demands. And what it does is it frustrates you. It pushes you away and you become a John Wayne in the kingdom of God. Wanting to do it on your own. Because you're so frustrated with what you've seen. And if you can do that, Satan will come after you and try to devour you. Come on, there is power in unity. There is power in unity. Now, Jesus also said, if you read the the part of this story, this letter, that he would give a white stone. What does the white stone stand for? When conquerors defeated in battle, when they, when they won races, they were given a white stone with their name upon it, and they were then invited into the after party. (laughs) The Roman court system. If you were guilty, they gave you a black stone. If you were innocent, they gave you a white stone. When you wanted to become a priest and they, and, and you passed, you were able to become a priest. They gave you a white stone and it was called the stone of the sanctuary, which gave you access. If a wealthy man invited you to a luncheon. He gave you a white stone with a note on it saying that everything that I have is yours. Do you see what Jesus is meaning? This is at the marriage supper of the lamb. When you will walk into to gates of glory and you will sit down at the table that is for you. And you will worship the king and eat amongst the brethren. And you will be considered not guilty. Justified. Just as if you never sinned. And you will be able to partake in the kingdom that the Lord has given you. Number four. Control or the spirit of Jezebel. You've all heard about the spirit of Jezebel. It says. And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write. But this I have against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel. Who calls herself a prophetess. And she teaches and leads my bond servants astray. So that they commit acts of immorality and eating things sacrificed to idols. Listen, the battle for leadership still rages. I see it. I, you know, I don't want to go into Melon, but I've seen this in the past. I don't see that here. Thank God. This is a very healthy church. I'm not just saying that. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this. Jezebel was a matriarch of hell. I mean, she was the wife of Ahab who considered sin to be a light thing. This is her character, that spirit. Controlling, manipulating, murderous, and immoral. Listen, she may not be trying to physically kill leadership, but she sits in the pew attacking the Elijahs behind the pulpit. She slithers in with flattery, but the minute you correct her, she's gossiping she is telling everybody, don't go to that church. That's Jezebel's spirit. Many times you will see during election time, politicians will come, lift their hands, get elected, and then cut the church's throat. That is seduction. Sexually immoral. That's big in churches. Chuck Swindoll calls it the number one secret problem in your church. I won't take the time to go into all the, uh, the percentages, but it's, it's it's high. In the churches, from the leadership to, to the pews, and it's killing. It's literally a spiritual nuclear holocaust. And it starts with us as individuals that say, I will not partake in that. Only you can control you. Number five, tradition. They were in danger of dying spiritually. He who has the seven spirits of God. I know your deeds, that you have a name and you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If if therefore you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know what hour I come. Now. Tradition says Jesus, they've been saying Jesus was going to come back, right? That's tradition. That, that, that's what people say. But let me tell you something. One day, Jesus Christ will return and take his bride away. I can promise you that under the authority of God's word. That's what God's word says. He has not hid it from us. He has said it multiple times. That's why I love Paul. Paul continually talks about the coming of the Lord. But listen, this is much like what we go through today. Threats do not necessarily have to always come from the outside. They could come from the inside. Just look at America. Our country is being destroyed from within. What happens is you get lulled to sleep out of abundance. It's no different in the church world. You know, you can get to a point where you get so comfortable with everything in the church. You can get so comfortable with the way things are going in the church. That you can live peacefully, cohabitate with, with the world. You know, the world pats you on the back. The Bible says, woe when men speak well of you. So we have to present the gospel in a loving way. But we stand firm and do not, heaven, do not commit heavenly treason. Listen, the church was beautiful on the the outside, but inside the, 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 the shelves were empty. That's what this is a picture of. You can look at this, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. People that were in tradition said, we don't want that. Keep that away from us. But... God's pouring out his spirit upon his church. If you get stuck in tradition, you will literally drive up, dry up. That's why Jesus said, wake up and strengthen that which is already there. Strengthen it. Number six, inferiority. The church at Philadelphia, they were a mission minded church. But what happened uh, was they had an earthquake and they, they got nervous. They got scared. It says in verse eight, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Because you have kept my word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, which is about to come upon the whole world to to test those that dwell on the spirit. I mean, that dwell upon the earth. I'm sorry. That that sounds like pre-trib to me, but let's keep going. (laughs) It's a joke. You know, he's sparing them from tribulation. Okay. All right. This this is a joke. I I hope it's not a joke, actually. (laughs) It says, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have, that no one take your crown. In 17 AD, an earthquake came and destroyed the area. But the emperor Tiberius helped rebuild it. But people became fearful. And what happens is, in the church, we become fearful. And Satan isolates us. But what we need to do is come together, come out of isolation, come out of hiding, join arms together, trust harder, rise up out of your pit, knock the dust off, link up arm in arm, like Pastor Rob said, and with a sword in the other hand. And listen, stand on the word that says the gates of hell shall not prevail against the the church of Jesus Christ. Listen, one person may be able to do only so much, but if we come together, pull all of our resources together, we were talking about doing something called a reach day. Yeah, one person can do something, but if the entire church gets behind the vision and carries out, we can change entire neighborhoods, entire cities by presenting the gospel. That's the power in unity. And the Bible says when 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 unit, when God sees unity, he commands the blessing. Listen, I believe that God is positioning this church for great and mighty things. The staff feels it. I've talked to people in the pews that feel it. Come on. God's about to pour out his spirit. Will it reach you? This is not church as usual. He says that I have opened up a door. But with that open door comes warfare. Don't think Satan will sit by while the mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit is poured out and not fight you tooth and nail. The question is, what opportunity is God opening for you to serve? What is God calling you to do? The wider the door, the more opposition. New levels, new devils. Second Corinthians 2, 12 and 13. When I came to Trost to preach the gospel... A door was open for me. My spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus. See, when Paul entered into this new door, he was immediately rebuffed for the gospel. But he says you have little strength. Remember, Jesus said that. But that little strength is good when you have little strength and you rely on the Lord for your strength. It was actually a compliment. He says you've kept my word. You have not denied my name. You know what that translates now? You are not politically correct. You have not denied my name. You have kept my word in perseverance and patience. And Jesus said he would keep them from tribulation. The last church. We're still making good time. Thank you for your patience. Pride. The church at Laodicea. They were self-sufficient. He says in verse 15, I know your deeds. You are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and I've become wealthy and need nothing. You do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise to you buy me gold, buy from me gold refined by fire that you may become rich in white garments, that you may clothe clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. If Jesus is outside the door knocking, heaven help his church. I want to be on the outside then. The issue is that we are where the Lord is. You know what Laodicea meant? It, Laos means people and decay means right or requirement. People that demanded their rights. Does that sound like where we are today? It's redefining marriage and saying, this is my right. It's redefining murder and saying, this is my right. I want my rights. That's what it means. But this was the problem with the Laodicean church. They stayed silent while this corruption came in and destroyed everything around them. Truth is violated by falsehood. But truth is murdered by silence. Listen, they were so wealthy that the Roman historian Tactius said that Laodicea was overthrown by an earthquake and they didn't need any outside help to rebuild. Listen, they were famous for eye salve and ear salve. They had the greatest schools, libraries and banks, but they had one weakness. A weak water supply from Colossae. It would be cold water. They would need to pipe it in. 10 miles to Laodicea. It would be so cold. By the time it got there, it was guess what? Lukewarm. And then they would go to Heropolis, 6 miles away. And they would go into the hot springs and pipe that water in. By the time it got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. Isn't it interesting how Jesus was able to talk about what was going on and apply it to today's life? Thomas Aquinas visited the Vatican, and he saw an officer bringing in money and gave it to the Pope. And the Pope told Thomas, you see, the church of the past can no longer say silver and gold, have I not? They were rich and wealthy. But Thomas replied, that's true. But she can no longer say, rise up and walk. Think of that being so wrapped up in what you have. And that's what happened to the church. They lost their their love because they had no reason to extend their faith. When everything is going right, you get lackadaisical, you get lukewarm. Everything is fine. The great preacher Cotton Mather said that religion begat prosperity and the daughter devoured the mother. So this is nothing new. The church of Jesus Christ should never feel self-sufficient. We should always be relying on the right hand of God. The power of his spirit. The the power of his word. The blood of Jesus Christ. They lost fear of God. They didn't care about holiness. It was old-fashioned. Now as we finish this off. What are four essentials to the warrior of Christ? Number one. Submit all to God. It says that in James. Submit to God and the devil will flee. Number two, get on fire. Do what you did at first. Go back to why you are saved because Jesus Christ has saved you. He has written your name in the Lamb's book of life. He has set you on a solid rock. He has empowered you. He has equipped you. He has called you. He has placed a sword in your hand. Number three, prepare for war. In Ephesians 6, 10 and 8, it tells you this. Know your weapons. Recognize you're in a battle. Some people don't even realize they're in a battle. The devil doesn't bother me and I don't bother the devil. That's not saved. That's not salvation. Satan hates the people of God. You should be having all hell thrown against you. That means you're doing some damage. Repent of compromise and totally rely on Christ. Number four, believe you are victorious. Listen, every letter tells you that you're victorious. Remember, Moses was victorious. David was victorious. Jesus Christ was victorious. Jesus says, I have given you all power over the enemy. In my name, they shall cast out devils. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. They shall speak in other tongues. And if they drink poison, it will not hurt them. That does not mean go out and drink poison. I'll give you an example. There was a lady that was ministering to devil worshipers. They kept poisoning her food, poisoning her her food. She would go into their place. She would eat their food. She wouldn't get sick. They would pour more poison, more poison on her food. She would not get sick. Another time she would go back, they would put more poison on her food. And finally they said, we have to tell you something. We have been poisoning your food. And you have not gotten sick. And she said, I could drink poison. It will not hurt me. This was the issue. Not that you go do that. We're not going to bring out snakes and Kool-Aid. But when that is needed... God will protect you. Now, as we close, <laughs> we're still good on time. I thought this was fascinating to me. when you look at all the overcoming that happens in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 2:7, this tells us the story of the entirety of the gospel, and it tells you the, your story. In Revelation 2:7. It says, to him who overcomes, I will grant to eat the tree of life. Remember in Genesis, there was a tree of life that no man could eat from. The second in Smyrna, Revelation 2.11, he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Remember in Genesis, sin was introduced and Adam died. It was the second death. Pergamos, Revelation 2, 17, to him who overcomes, I will give some of hidden manna. Now, remember, in Exodus, God rained manna down from heaven. I did the math. Well, I'm sorry. I didn't do it. I'm no, I can't even add, to be honest with you. But I did some research on this. The power of God is so amazing. God fed three million people. It would have taken 45 rail cars with 15 tons of manor per car to meet the need. And he did it every day for 40 years, except on the Sabbath. He took, it would have taken 90 cars with 15 tons each. That's power. And that's Old Testament. Imagine what God wants to do in the New Testament. That tells us we are sustained by his word. Thyatira, Revelation 2, 6. And he who overcomes and keeps my work until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Remember during the reign of Joshua and David, they conquered all the enemies that were in their land. They had all authority. And in Sardis, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my father. This was made possible By the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you see a progression? The church in Philadelphia. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. We are seated because of the death of Jesus Christ in heavenly places. He has given us all authority. The church today is the authority on this earth. That's why it needs to be removed so Satan can have his way with mankind. I think I just did a pre-trib plug sorry <laughs> that's a joke but listen I really do hope it's not a you know to the overcomer a pillar a pillar was a monument in front of the temple and then the name was inscribed on it you know what that tells us that it's a monument to God's grace Revelation 12, 11 says that he overcame them by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Don't you see how amazing God almighty is to interwove this within here in the church at Laodicea? He who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne during the millennial reign. We will rule and reign in Christ because we are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That is the story of the gospel and the seven letters to the church at Asia. Can we stand? Come on, I want to pray for these things we talked about right now. Come on, let's, re- let's repent of being religious. Let's repent of just meeting with God to check a box off during quiet times are worshiping God because it's Sunday not because it's our life to want to worship God come on we need to repent of that i want you to repent ask God if you're dealing with that if you if you feel as if you're you just merely have a formality ask God to forgive you and rekindle come on let's ask God God rekindle that fire god That we need, Lord, to walk this life. God, we thank you that you delivered us from drugs and alcohol and immorality and and evil. Father, we thank you that we are now your children. That you have cleaned us off, God. That we can walk holy in your presence, in your might. Lord, we come against intimidation, Father. Lord, we see the blood that has been shed. As the church of Jesus Christ, Lord, we stand up counted righteous among those that have gone before us and father come on tell god we take that charge god give us that charge god we walk out in faith not intimidated by the world not intimidated by the way people think nowadays god but we just simply trust in your might in your power maybe you've been compromising at work in your family Come on, God didn't call you to compromise. God called you to be a light and to stand in truth. Father, we thank you right now that you have given us strength to not compromise, God. That you have given us strength to believe. That you have given us strength and that you have empowered us, Lord. Come on, some of us may still be holding on to things. Come on, let that go. Throw that down at the feet of Jesus and pick up what he has for you. Some of you may be dealing with immorality of all sorts, the thought life. Come on, ask God to forgive and cleanse. Wash, God, wash our minds. Wash our eyes, God. Give us eye salve to see your glory. God, maybe you've been letting things into your ear gate. God, give us ear salve, God, that will clean out our ears to where all we hear is your spirit and your might and your power. Maybe you're caught up in tradition. Come on, lay that down. God may not want just three songs, a 30-minute message, and you're on your way out. Come on, we need to lay that down. What does God want to do in services? What does God want to do in your own life? And Satan has whispered to you and told you that you're not worthy, that you're not like them. They have it all together. That's what Satan tells you. That when you fall, God is mad at you. That's not true. You need to hear that. When you fall, get up, repent, ask God to cleanse you. Walk in his righteousness. Walk in his power, in his glory. And look, can we repent of pride and self-sufficiency? Come on, none of us have it all together. We all need the Lord. God, we thank you, Lord, that your power is available in every area that is lacking in your people. God, we just simply honor you. We, we submit ourselves as a willing vessel, God, to be used in your kingdom. Come on, reach your hands to God. Say, God, use me in, at work. Use me in my family. Use me in the church. Use me in the neighborhood. Father, we thank you for the great commission. But father we desire to fulfill the great commandment which is to love you with all of our heart, all of our all of our being and to love our neighbor as ourselves. That will produce works of righteousness, God. Works that you will honor that you will be pleased with, God. Father, we thank you for the privilege to come into this place without guns in our faces, without bombs going off. Father, we thank you that we are washed in the blood, we are protected by your mighty angels equip us call us to greater things come on you want greater things from God you want to be used mightily ask God I promise you he will use you mightily now Lord I ask that you would bless them as they go keep them empower them equip them God heal the sick through them God come on let God use your hands to heal the sick God, I thank you for your presence in this service. I thank you that we are your children, that we are redeemed. Come on, lift your hands to heaven and say, Lord, we welcome you back to this earth. We welcome you back to set up your kingdom, to have your way, God. Start with us. Let us be a right representation, ambassadors for Christ. Lord, we thank you for the privilege to serve in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, I pray and ask.